All right, welcome back to RUF. Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 23 this evening. We mentioned last week that Paul was a man that was thrilled with what he had found in God. If you remember, he was so caught up in the riches of Jesus that he couldn't contain himself. And so he goes on and on and on. And we talked about in the original language that verses 3 through 14 is actually one long run-on sentence. 203 words. And then finally... When we get to verse 15, Paul finally gets his breath and he turns his praise into prayer. Let's listen to what he prays in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 23. This is God's word. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful for your word, and we need you. We need the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and into this place tonight to open up our eyes, to unstop our ears, to soften our hearts. We need a work from the outside tonight in order to see this passage and to see Jesus more clearly. Father, we are so self-sufficient and we uh, need you desperately uh, to come in and to help us to read these words, these words that are really familiar to a lot of us uh, and help us to learn them anew. Uh, May they uh, be as if This is the first time uh, that we had encountered them. Father, would you do that through your Spirit? In Jesus' name, Amen. Like many of you, I wear contact lenses. And I'll never forget when I was a freshman in high school, uh, that's when I realized that I need glasses. I would sit back in the back of the class, as I always did with my buddies. And I'll never forget as the teachers writing things on the board... Um, and everyone else can see in the back row, but I I couldn't. I just couldn't see clearly. Everything was fuzzy, and so I had to go always to the front of the room uh, to copy down the notes and the outline uh, from the board. And then so, you know, I went home, 
talked to my parents about it, and they took me to the eye doctor, to the optometrist, and uh, he checked my eyes, and I got fitted for some contact lenses. And I will never forget, and many of you that have glasses might have had a similar experience, but the first time I walked out wearing contact lenses, the world was like a new place. Everything was so much sharper. Suddenly things weren't fuzzy anymore. I could see, and it was like the world had come alive, and and the world around me was so much more vivid. I needed the contact lenses in order to see more clearly. And in a similar way, in this passage, Paul is like an optometrist. But he's not concerned with the eyes of our heads. As this passage says, he's concerned with the eyes of our hearts. Look at verse 18. In this verse, Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. And so as Paul transitions from praise to prayer in his letter to the Ephesians, he knows that the eyes of their hearts, and he knows that our hearts fail to see clearly. We fail to look to Jesus, fail to pay attention and notice all that is ours. All that he marvels about in verses 3 through 14, all that is truly happening through Christ. And because of Christ, he says we are failing to take hold of those things. And so in this passage, Paul teaches us that taking hold of and seeing what is ours in Christ is directly proportional to having a thriving and a vibrant prayer life. Let me say that again. What we see here is that Paul is teaching us that taking hold of or seeing what is ours in Christ is directly proportional to having a vibrant prayer life. In these verses, Paul prescribes some new lenses, if you will, and he wants us to see Jesus more clearly, and more specifically, he wants us to get the blessings that are already ours in Christ, and all the things that he's accomplished for us. There's three things he wants us to see in this passage. The first one is, Why we fail to pray. Look at verse 15. Paul begins his prayer by saying, For this reason, do you see the connection? Do you see what Paul's doing here? Remember, last week in verses 3 through 14, Paul is so thrilled with Jesus that he can't contain himself. And he goes immediately to verse 15. And and so what the vibe that we get here is that Paul's prayer arises from a heart that is worshiping or rejoicing in how much we have in Christ. Friends, doxology and worship always precede devotion and prayer. Prayer arises from perceiving the riches that we have in Christ. And you know, if we're real honest, for many of us, I would say most of us in this room would say that our prayer life lacks power. Sure, some of us might pray regularly, um, but it has become rather routine or rather um, consistent or routine or dull. Some of us don't pray with any regularity at all, I would say. And some of us might be so faithful but we've turned rather self-righteous 
about our pious discipline. But again, I would say, even for the best prayers in this room, you would say that your prayer lacks power. Let me illustrate here by telling you a story about a man uh, who had several trees in his backyard that needed to be cut down. And so he goes to the chainsaw shop and he talks uh, to the dealer about the various chainsaws. The dealer looks at him and says, Look, I have lots of models, but why don't you save yourself a lot of time and a lot of aggravation and with the amount of work that you need to do, you should just go ahead and get the top-of-the-line model. And he shows him this one particular chainsaw, and he said, Sir, with this chainsaw, you can cut uh, at least 100 cords of wood in one day's time. And so the man really likes that idea. He wants to save some energy and some time. And so he takes the chainsaw home, and he begins working on the trees. After cutting for several hours, he only had cut two cords of wood. And so he decides to quit thinking uh, that something's wrong with the chainsaw. He starts to think that something's wrong with the chainsaw. And he thinks, how can the world can I cut for two hours and only have cut two cords of wood? So he then has a new thought. Maybe I'll just try tomorrow. I'll get up at 4 a.m. and I'll start when the sun comes up and I will uh, finish when the sun goes down and then I'll get a better handle on what we're working with with this chainsaw. Well, when the nightfall came, the man had only managed to cut five cords of wood the entire day. And so the man is furious. He's convinced that he has a bad saw, that something's wrong with it. And so he decides to return it to the dealer. So the next day he takes the saw back in and he explains the problem. And the dealer is looking at the chainsaw and he says, you know, it looks looks pretty fine to me. He takes it out of its case and he looks around. And then the dealer starts the chainsaw. To which the man replies, what's that noise? (laughs) You see, the man had never tapped into the power of the chainsaw. And the reason why we often fail in prayer is because we fail to tap in to the power of prayer. Where is the power of prayer? Well, I think it's clear from our passage, that the power for prayer is worship. The power for prayer is seeing and savoring the surety of redemption in Christ. That is the fuel for a vibrant prayer life. Are you praying, friends, without perceiving all that is ours and yours in Christ? If so, either it won't last or it will become your righteousness. And the application here is not, friends, grit your teeth and just try harder to be more disciplined. No, that is not the application. The application is this, to see and savor the glories of redemption that are found in Jesus. When we see and savor Jesus, then there will be a bursting forth of prayer.
in our life. So not only do we see here in this passage why we fail to pray, but secondly, what we see is why we need to pray. Look at verses 16 through 17 with me. Paul says, I keep asking or do not cease that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. You know, implicit in this text is the reality that the enlightening of the eyes is beyond any human labor. It's beyond any ability or any skill in ourselves. I can't open your eyes, and I can't open my eyes. And you see, as great as the church in Ephesus was, Paul indicates here that there was still a sense in which the Ephesians saw Christ dimly. And Paul knows that he can't do a darn thing about it. He knows that he has no resources in himself to help others see and savor all that is theirs in Christ. Our only resource, our only recourse is to pray for the working of the Father, the working of the Son, and the working of the Holy Spirit. And you see all those mentioned in verses 16 and 17, it's only a de- as a, we'll only have a deeper knowledge and apprehension and appreciation of the gospel truths when we pray and call on the resources of another. When we pray to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to do what we could never do for ourselves. In 1994, in London, England, there was a 63-year-old accountant. And this man paid the ultimate price for his short-sightedness. He knew he needed bladder surgery, but he hated going to doctors. So according to one news agency, he did what he should have depended upon someone else to do for him. And leaning on his own self-sufficiency... Listen, what the man did. Leaning on his own self-sufficiency, he tried to perform surgery on himself. Tragically, he got an infection from his own operation and died several weeks later. You know, that's a tragic story. But just as tragically, many of us are dying spiritually because we are trying to perform operations on our own spiritual selves. And because of our self-sufficiency, we are paying the price. And friends, you see, that unfortunately, many of us are blind to our own limitations. And ironically, one of the limitations that we are most blind to is our own self-sufficiency. Listen, Sanford students, you guys are very gifted. And you've gotten where you are, most of you, because you are extremely hard workers. And you've worked very hard to get where you are. You're used to pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and just getting the job done. And so naturally, you carry this same type of mentality into your relationship 
with God and into your spiritual life. And you think that if you can just work hard enough, try hard enough, if you can just study hard enough, then you can get the job done spiritually. And you know what Paul says? Paul says, stop. Stop trying so so hard. And start crying out in desperation for the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life and do for you what you can never do for yourselves. Do you want to grow spiritually? Most of you in this room would probably answer yes to that question. If so, you need to start by admitting your need and confessing that you can't do it and crying out in utter dependence upon the God of all grace who will give us what we need to grow when we ask for it and when we trust in Him. Will you trust God? Will you trust the Spirit to do what you can't do for yourselves? Will you repent and turn from your self-sufficiency? The first point is, why we fail to pray. Secondly, we've seen why we need to pray. And then thirdly, we see what we need to pray. You know, so often the core of our uh, request or our prayer life centers on getting what we want from Christ rather than getting what we already have in Christ. You know, in this passage, it teaches us that spiritual power doesn't arrive from getting all the boxes checked on our prayer request sheet. It doesn't work that way. No, a life of spiritual power arrives, as we've said earlier, from perceiving what is true in Christ and what is already ours. Look at verse 19 through 23. In short, what Paul is saying here is we have an incomparable Power. Look at verse 19. Paul piles up the enormity of that power with adjectives, 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 sorry, adjectives and synonyms for power. Got a little tongue tied there. The power is incomparable, Paul says, and surpassingly great. Look, the power is unfathomable, and it's seen. Uh, in a couple of ways. Look at what Paul says. He says this power can be seen in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And as Paul says, look there, he says that the same Spirit, basically is what he's saying, that rose, that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that is now living in you if you are in Christ in a Christian. He goes on to say, talk about the exaltation of Christ to the right hand of the Father. The power that seated Christ above all other powers and put them uh, under his feet and subjected them to him. That power is available to you, is at work at, in you because of what Jesus has done if you are in Christ. Then he goes on and he talks about the power and this idea of the headship of Christ over all the church. That he is subject, uh, that subjection of all other enemies is for the sake of the church. 
And yet, listen to what Paul's describing there. It is simply amazing. And yet, so often, we live such defeated lives because we depend upon our own resources and fail to see what Christ has done for us and all that we already have. What if we saw clearly? What if we really believed in what the Bible says is true of us because of Christ? Vincent Van Gogh, Vincent Van Gogh once said this. He said that being an artist involves grasping life in its depths. Paul's prayer, friends, his pressing plea is that is basically what he's saying is that being a Christian involves grasping life in Christ in its death. Being a Christian involves grasping life in Christ at its death. At the core, I think this is our greatest need and should be our most pressing prayer. But you see, oftentimes, we keep looking for a better power source, don't we? We think that there's some different silver bullet out there. That if I can just have a more emotional experience, or a second blessing, or a more lively praise and worship service, or some additional gift, then I'll have power. Then I'll feel alive inside. But Paul, notice, he doesn't want something extra for you. He wants you to get what you got. Sorry for the bad English. But he wants you to realize what you already have in Christ. If you perceive this and grow in grasping the riches of the gospel at its steps, these truths, they will melt your heart and your relationships will start to change. You know what else will happen? You'll rest more. You'll stress less. You'll stop trying so hard. Your struggles with assurance will diminish. You will release your control and demandedness on all your relationships and your friends and those around you. And maybe, too, it will cause you to abandon your paralysis of fear. Thomas Chalmers, many of you might be familiar with him in your study of church history, but he was the founder of the Free Church of Scotland. He understood this idea well of grasping life in Christ at its depth. After preaching the law of morality and essentially telling people, the people of Kilmeny, Scotland, for eight years to simply pull themselves up and behave, he finally realized in 18... 11, that the power was not in behaving, but it was in believing. And so for the next four years, every Sunday, Chalmers would set before his people the beauty of Christ and the wonders of grace. And there was a man who heard him both before 1811 and after 1811. And listen to what he wrote. He said Chalmers would bend over the pulpit and he would press us to take the gift as if he held it that moment in his hands. And he would not be satisfied till every one of us had got possession of it. 
And often when the sermon was over and the psalm was sung and he rose to pronounce the blessing, Chalmers would break out afresh with some new entreaty, unwilling to let us go until he had made one more effort to persuade us to accept it. Chalmers understood, friends, that the eyes of our hearts must always grow in gazing at the glories of Christ so that the old affections of our hearts might be dispossessed by the exclusive power of a new one. And in this prayer that Paul is praying, he's teaching us not to bend over the pulpit, but he's teaching us and pleading with us to bend over the throne of grace and to pray and to plead with the God of the universe to open our eyes so that we will get how much we have in Christ so that the eyes of our hearts will receive with explosive power a new affection. And so... We must pray. We must pray, Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Enlighten our eyes. We want to see Jesus. Are you praying that? Are you praying that we would see and savor all that we have in Christ? I hope you are. Because friends, that is the fuel for a more fervent and vibrant prayer life. Let's pray.